Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Something all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Talking college football is what we do year-round, nine states, 60 sticks. I appreciate the blessing, folks. Many times when the collective, the we, look at something and think, well, that's a bug. The folks at the top of the food chain usually look at it as a feature. Uh, with all the clutch the pearls about, oh, the further separation economically of college football, some programs won't survive. Yeah, the Big Ten and the SEC, they know. It's, it's kind of the point. Fewer teams to share with. Uh, which is why someone asked me, why did the group of five insist it's in writing that they get they they would be in the top 12? I was like, are you certain? So we have a five plus seven, and it doesn't include one bone throw uh, for the have-nots. I want to welcome on right now a man who can help us through all of this. CBSSports.com. It's Dennis Dodd. Dennis, welcome back. How are you on this Wednesday? You there? Ah, well, I got you, man. How you doing? I'm good, Chuck. How are you? Oh, I'm nothing but good. We got uh, we got a playoff model for at least two years. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the model, and then let's talk about the length because that one's a little murkier. Five plus seven. What did it take for that to become the law instead of just the rumor? Well, it was largely assumed um, that it was going to happen on January. Dennis! All right. Dennis, uh, sunspots, acid rain, something happened. Um, but the five plus seven model is it was, we were waiting, we were waiting, we were waiting. And after gosh, months, months of, uh, delays, uh, it is. And that was the, I'll say the rapidly falling numbers of the pack 12. Um, and then just yesterday, there was a meeting of presidents and chancellors. And of course, Notre Dame, just like, just like with the video game, Notre Dame, it was all the regular, and then Notre Dame had to say yes to the video game. Same thing for the five plus seven. Uh, Dennis, we got you back, brother. Uh, talk about that yeah, five plus me? seven and how it became good. Yeah, you got me. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, January eighth, the day of the championship game, uh, the stakeholders met: the CFP, the commissioners, presidents, CEOs, Notre Dame, and Kirk Schultz, who represents the Pac-12 slash Pac-2. Uh, this is good. This is going to be a rubber stamp on five plus seven because the vote had to be unanimous. He held out and said he needed more time because of quote unquote legal issues. Well, what we found out in the interim is that the PAC two, Oregon State and Washington State, wanted assurances uh, for more money, for access, for um, a promise that they would, whatever, however they reorganized. They would be guaranteed autonomy five status. So really, for them, it wasn't really about five plus seven versus six plus six. Nope. It was about them having that vote 
and not everybody not being able to go forward until they got what they wanted. Well, yesterday that was resolved. I don't think they got uh, bupkis. I think they just realized we're going to have to go forward and get what we get. And so here's what we are. Five plus seven is the formal recognition that the Pac-12 has collapsed, and those top five conference champions will get uh, an automatic berth. The top four, this is confusing, the top four will get a first-round bye. Yeah, and they could continue to delay because uh, it has to be unanimous. But, I mean, the, it was a losing hand. They had twos and sevens, and they realized it. Um, all right, well, let's talk about the length of the agreement. Is it just really going to be two years, or is this just the model, and then they'll approve it for an extension? Well, all we know for sure is that we've got this set up for the next two years. A 12-year playoff. I just mentioned the access points. Um, and after that, it's been stressed over and over again. Everything is off the table, which means everything is on the table, uh, including the size of the playoff. It's now been reported several times that Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti wants 16 teams. Uh, the logic being that they've got the biggest conference, they should have room for the most access. They've got 18 teams as it stands now, or will stand, beginning uh, next season. So uh, you've got a situation where it may be the 12 at large, which obviously benefits the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, we did the research at CBS Sports. Had you gone back the first 10 years here of the playoff, those two schools combined in their current form would have averaged 7.6 uh, spots out of those 12. Last year, if you just took last year, they would have taken nine. So what's going on today, and this is, this is why today is so consequential, they're meeting in Dallas, the commissioners, to start hashing out all this beyond 26. And it looks like for all the world that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to demand guaranteed spots, uh, a tier, uh, I don't know what the word is, tiered revenue distribution up until this point. Yep. From 1998, when the BCS started, all the for one. Yeah, the power conferences shared uh, equally the money, but now, for obvious reasons, those two want more. Isn't it funny that that's the exact thing that blew apart the Big Twelve? Like the halves getting paid more, and so that's what they're doing. Um, right. I want to no, go. You're you're exactly right. This is the next iteration. I mean, it, the last process cast aside. Oregon State and Washington State, Stanford and Cal were going to be in that, you know, be in that place, but they they hooked on with the ACC. But you're right. Go ahead. Uh, if we go back to because you're talking, you're correct about adding, adding more teams to the playoffs, all that. They and they just keep adding, and I keep saying you can't just add. Well, college football so far, all they've done is add. They have to take away something at some point. I want to go back to the SEC championship game. I don't know, like a minute and a half left. Jalen Milrow ran, ran for a touchdown. If you, I mean, for a first down, just to extend the drive, and so you could look at the timeouts and the clock, and so the game was over, like a minute and a half. The look on Kirby's face was anguish, soul crushing. Three point loss, final minute to Bama, and our season is done. Next year, that becomes a seeding exhibition. Um, will we be one or will we be six? Um, yeah, that's that to me is a loss. Um, at some point, does the cha conference championship get taken away, or is it just a license to print money? Right now, no, because every athletic director in the country budgets for the money 
from that championship game. And at the power, I guess, four level right now, that's fairly substantial. So there's no movement to cast them aside. But you're right, they, those games largely will be proceeding. Um, Ohio, think of Ohio, Ohio State and Michigan. The way those two teams are constructed now, that'll Same. be proceeding. Auburn and Alabama, if, if Auburn's any good. Um, so, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, you know, we don't know how that's going to look. I don't think it will take away much from the SEC championship game because that's the most traditional and the most meaningful there is in championship games. Mm-hmm. But we'll see around the country. All right, Clemson. Um, Dabo believes one thing about Clemson, and it's that we all don't understand that they really are like toeing the line to be in the Clemson they were just a few years ago. They really are their elite, all this other stuff. He believes it. Uh, what do you think? Because, by the way, I do not. Uh, what do you think? Well, they've got to prove it. I mean, they slipped the last couple of years, and the standard at Clemson right now is to compete for playoff first and national championships. And it's as simple as that. Um, you've got to get back to winning the league, you know, whatever the league is right now and however long it stays together. Uh, Clemson has to be, in their mind, and their fans have to be the best, uh, the best program there is. Uh, and that's the standard. It's, uh, I would say it's, you know, Alabama competes against itself. Um, that, and that's what's, you know, fueling, not fueling, but that's a how Kalen DeBoer will be judged. You know, you'd say never be the guy to follow the guy because the standard on him is you got to be in that playoff next year and you probably got to win it. Um, he'll, he'll get a honeymoon because uh, Nick Nick didn't win a championship. Shame on Nick. He didn't win a championship. Oh, last Nick Saban. <laughs> so, um, that'll be the standard. Dennis, I'm not trying to have clever wordplay here. Uh, I think this, in the truest sense of these, I think Lincoln Riley's an OC. I don't think he's a head coach. Um, tell me what you because I think this is I think he's in the club now and I think he's going to be head coach in the league at some point I really do think he's just a play caller he's an OC yeah I I think a lot of people are coming to that conclusion now you know they're he's what what is he he's uh, eight and seven in his last 15 games after starting 11 and one so that roster rebuild through the portal I guess worked in the moment but that's a story I'd like to explore what who has done what Forget that. Scratch that. What is the best way? You know, has anyone used the portal to flip a roster? I would suggest no. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Lane at Ole Miss, because uh, it certainly hasn't happened in Colorado. They got better. They were a big story for a month in September, but they improved by four games to four and eight. I don't call that a flip. Um, you know, no, you because you know what it is. So back, you say that. Yeah, I'm sorry that they, they improved by four games. They were never supposed to be as bad as they were in 22. That wasn't a real level of right. depth for a legitimate program. So even yeah, the improvement right. was the sort of power five. They were the worst power five coming into last season. Now they're not. So here we are. Yeah. Uh, all right, just one team that, and I was asking about Clemson, et cetera, and that you know they they're they're an elite and and they're you know had had just been there. What is Notre Dame? Because I'm looking at Marcus Freeman going. At some point, it has to be a full season absent of that Saturday or two, uh, and you still are kind of Notre Dame. So they're getting quarterbacks. Uh, what yeah. are they going to be? Uh, in the big picture next year, or. Yep. Uh, this coming um, season in 2024, and oh, what is that base, program going to be with him? 
based on what they have coming back, they're going to be a top 12 ranked program. Um, take this for what it's worth. Marcus Freeman is one of only two coaches in Notre Dame history to win at least nine his first two years as coach. The other one is Charlie White. So I don't even know what that stat means. Um, I, I wouldn't. I would suggest obviously that Notre Dame fans are totally happy with the first two year two years because of what you just mentioned. Those hiccups. Uh, they're recruiting well. I think you've got this guy. You know, it sounds stupid to say this. You give him time. Nobody's getting time anymore. Um, but I think they are that nine and three program right now. Sam Hartman was an improvement. He didn't lead them over the over the edge. Whenever I see them, you know, play play up, uh, either in the playoff or play national games, the outside speed isn't the same. Whether it's receivers or or frankly edge rushers, I mean, they're putting guys like Joe Alt into the NFL, and uh, God, they had two guys a few years ago from that offensive line go to the NFL, but they're not putting quarterbacks there, and. If we know anything about the game right now, it's if you have a quarterback, you have a chance. Dennis, I think we just did a really good job of talking about actual on-field stuff. That's not nothing, sure. man. What's uh, that? From college, uh, National College Football writer, CBS Sports, Dennis Dodd. Thank you for your time, brother. All right, Chuck. Thanks. All right. Uh, Dennis Dodd uh, threw a little bit of a digital mishap, but we got him back. Again, National College Football writer, CBS Sports. Appreciate his time. So, um, if you are looking around at, you know, big national brands and what are they going to be big, you know, Texas, they're jumping in the sec. I was like, they could win the thing if for whatever we care about it. I mean, I just talked about what the sec championship game itself is. You want to win. You would prefer to be top four. And we know, you know, all those reasons, but the big picture is actually the big picture that we're about winning national championships. Uh, we weren't necessarily, I'm talking about a program of that ilk. We're not necessarily about divisions might not even be about the conference. And so it's a measuring stick. Good for Texas. We've talked about that. Notre Dame. What are they going to be? Cause it's supposed to be more. It really is. Um, Clemson again, big picture. What are you going to be? Southern Cal with Lincoln Riley, I think I see an elite play caller who at some point, you know, somebody was going to promote him to be head coach, and he showed so much on his side of the ball. Well, it clearly had to be the reason we're not championship uh, program is the defense, but he'll get that fixed. But his side, man, he's the answer over there. And suddenly at Oklahoma, well, he's a head coach. He's in. He's the guy that Bob Stoop said, I need to fix the offense. I'm Lincoln Riley, and he fixed the offense. So once he got declared a head coach, that means because it's on that side of the ball, and he has yet to hiccup over there. You look at so many guys that got hired because of what they spent in gold with the play sheet, and so they're not going to be an OC anymore. They're going to be a head coach. And then you look at them, and like Rich Rodriguez, hiccup. Gus Malzahn, hiccup. So many guys, hiccups. Then what happens? You're fired. Cliff Kingsbury, guess what? When your offense isn't good, you're fired. Lincoln Riley, give him credit. He knows where the bread is buttered. And he kept ascending from boy wonder to actual OC. That was East Carolina. 
to Savior and Norman to head coach to Southern Cal. So he's in the club. He's not going backwards. I don't think he's much of a head coach. Figure out the other half of the field. That's all. Your half of the field, you've got it aced, man. His The plays work, and he can get guys who want to execute him. Figure out the other half. Like once, figure that out. We break. We continue next. The king of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. All week, all year, talk college football, Chuck Oliver Show. Texas is entering its third conference in like 25 years. A little bit longer than that, 27 years or so. I don't know. Like South Carolina is not supposed to have more stability in college football than Texas, are they? South Carolina looked over at A and M was like, "Sup? Yeah, this is our this is our neighborhood." South Carolina's looking at Texas, going, eh, "Okay, you too." How will the first season go in the SEC? I've said I think they can win, like win the conference on field. Um, also, am interested in what it will take to win the conference, not in 24, that's decided, uh, but what it will take to win the conference going forward. What I'm talking about specifically is how many games. So it's a lot about the SEC we will talk about with Blake Topmeyer, USA Today. That's going to be bottom of the hour right now. Heath Klein, what's going on, man? So we have um, a coach who has weighed in and has has taken things in a little different direction. Kudos here to Kenny Dillingham. Dillingham this morning went on uh, Arizona Sports, which is an outlet there in the Phoenix area, and uh, said the following, talking about the difficulties of being a CFB coach today. Quote, I literally spent nine years of my life doing anything to become a coffee boy. So don't give me the, oh, it's hard to be a coach right now. Yeah, it's hard. Then quit. Um, there, I don't know if you ever watched Mad Men, Chuck, but there's a pretty famous scene in Mad Men where Don Draper's character, the uh, John Hamm character, says to another character when she's complaining about not getting thank yous and whatnot, that's what the money is for. And, and that's basically what Kenny Dillingham is saying. And I applaud him because it's true. These guys make a huge amount of money. That doesn't mean you can't have issues in your life when you're rich. Plenty of people do. They have to work a bunch of hours. It's not easy. I get it. But that's what the money's for. And when even an average coach now in a power conference is routinely pulling down three, four million, and if you've accomplished anything, it's more like five or six, I don't know, man. Maybe at least publicly ease up on the sad, sad song, you know? Well, some of them are actually, some of his coaching brethren are saying, okay, I quit. Um, so that is, it's usually, I quit. And if you don't like it so much, and some of them are like, yeah, good idea. I think I will. 
Um, that's that's part of it. You're right about the money. The money is it's not real. That is so far beyond comprehension, especially to make that money two or three or four times. Like it's not just three million once. You've made it for a few seasons, and then if you're bad at your job, you get it all and then go out the door. So you're right about the money. Here is the one thing that, irrespective, I'm going to put the money in the fishbowl. When you're out of hours, you're just out of hours. When you're out of time, when you don't have time to ever see either your family, your kids participate, think. When you don't have time for anything ever, there is the money but you still you have no time for you basically check out from all life except football i mean so, i i get that that's an issue for guys but at the same time chuck we also have seen the explosion of staff to the point that you can have so many people do things for you that you couldn't true. have done before you know you were talking yesterday uh with pat dooley about or two days ago with pat dooley about charlie pell you know the the difference in this era and what you can have for support staff Versus what a guy like that was dealing with in his era and, and nowhere near the kind of money coming in for a Charlie Pell or anybody in the 80s. I mean, for Pete's sake, Bowden and Spurrier became the first seven-figure coaches in the mid-90s. Oh, there's a chance Charlie Pell was folding towels on Tuesday and Thursday nights after practice. Yeah, so I, I just, when, when you I, have seriously. all these financial resources available to you and the support resources, again, it's a tough job. And if anybody says, like a Nick Saban, hey, I've done it, I'm done. If somebody in their 50s says, hey, I got enough money in the bank, I'm good, I'm going to go enjoy my life, like a Bob Stoops, you won't hear a second of criticism from me. But I'm with Dillingham here. When you look at what the resources are you're given these days, if you don't like it, it's, it's, it's cool. You probably should be able to take care of your family well enough at this point if you've had any success in the profession for even a few years. You should be able to go ahead and move on. So if you're that upset, move on. Yeah, and if you have, you know, not gotten overly ambitious and decent enough plan, and you're right, it doesn't take very many years of getting paid four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, one point two million, three million, five million. Doesn't take a whole lot of that. Like Zach Arnett, he coached exactly one season as head coach in the SEC. It equaled nine million dollars. So the money's there, but the time is still a very real thing. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. It's always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Here's all college football, Chuck Oliver Show. Told you, buddy of mine, Texas fan. How do you think people going to react? What do you think? 
when we enter the conference and win the SEC our first year? I was like, uh, I don't think much because it's now a stepping stone. It's a seeding uh, determination if you win the SEC. Now, I said it's a heck of an accomplishment. It's a commentary on what you are that Missouri wasn't, A&M wasn't, South Carolina, Arkansas, et cetera, weren't. Uh, and honestly, never were in their existence since they came in the league. They never won the SEC. Um, that would be an amazing accomplishment, but nobody would think a whole lot about it. We stopped really thinking about that when LSU won the SEC in 2011, and then I barely crossed midfield in the national championship game. Like, you don't see a lot of LSU fans wearing that 2011 hoodie. Want to welcome on right now, man who knows all about the SEC, USA Today is where he tells uh, his stories. It is Blake Topmeyer. Blake, welcome, man. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, how will Texas's first season in the SEC go on the field? Can they win the thing? I think they can. I mean, I, I think uh, Georgia is uh, a deserved front runner, but I, I would have Texas, you know, right at the heels of, of Georgia. I think those two teams are on the top perch of the conference, probably with uh, Ole Miss in, in the third place seat behind them. But I, I think to your point, uh, winning the SEC championship, while it would be you know a great feather in the cap of Texas, um, you know at this point winning the conference championship means you get a first round bye in the playoff. It, it it still carries significance, but it doesn't carry the same significance that it probably used to. Tell me, uh, he's healthy. He plays twelve games and it's just humming. Tell me what we what, what does Quinn Ewer see as uh, season? You said Quinn Ewer's season. Yeah, Quinn Ewer's season. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's primed for a big one. When you look at the way they've reloaded on on offense, uh, I mean, you know, one of the big question marks for Texas was how are they, how are they going to replace those, those star wide receivers that they lost off this past season, the, their playoff team? Well, um, they, they brought in a handful of, of new guys that can be star wide receivers, including Isaiah Bond from Alabama, uh, the hero of, of the Iron Bowl, uh, who I think. Uh, was overall Alabama's best wide receiver. Uh, Jermaine Burton was also in that conversation, but I think I'd take Isaiah Bond. And, and he had headlines a group of, of three really plug-and-play starters for Texas at, at wide receiver. They bring back a lot on their offensive line. So if you look at the pieces he has around him, I, I think Quinn Ewers is, is positioned um, you know, to have as good of a supporting cast on offense as he had last year. Um, and he's a veteran guy now. I think he's going to have a big season. A lot of folks uh, saw Chris Del Conte, the AD out there, his comments uh, very casually. He's like, yeah, it's eight games, but we're working on a nine-game schedule. Uh, that'll be announced soon. Um, a lot of people, was he supposed to say that? I'm like, no, no, no. The question is, was Chris Del Conte correct? Uh, was he correct? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he's jumping the gun at the very least. I, I think he his prediction may very well come true, but – uh, I, I don't. I, at this point, it, it, it's exactly that. It's a prediction. Like uh, Chris Del Conte, quite frankly, uh, doesn't get a vote in, in whether the conference uh, expands its schedule. He gets a voice, but he doesn't get a vote. It's the uh, it's the conference presidents and chancellors who vote. And and yes, they take their cues uh, from their football coaches and from their ads. But that's who votes. That hasn't happened yet. Um, that being said, I think Del Conte is probably on to something. Uh, I think there is a good chance that this, this eight-game schedule continues through next season, 2025, uh, and then it goes from eight to nine games in 2026. I mean, look, I think most of us believe that it's going from eight to nine at some point. I think it could have got there as soon as this season if, if the money was right, if the incentive was there. 
uh, from ESPN. I don't think the SEC felt that it was. And so they said, hey, we're not going to add an extra conference game for, for free. This is a business move. Um, and so they, they dragged their feet on it. But I think at some point um, the finances will make sense to go there. And, and I think Del Conte uh, very well could prove correct that 2026 is the year. But, uh, yeah, as I said, at this point, uh, it's a prediction. I think it might be a good prediction, but it's still a prediction. Talk about the overall mood. Uh, Mike Elko, he's just – I mean, it – Everybody's excited for a new direction and all, but if you're A&M, you had a 12-year head start on Texas in the conference, and it never got better than it did like eight Saturdays into your very first season back in 2012, like high water mark, and since then it was just like a slow slide. Um, what's the overall mood out there? Because they spent a ton of money on facilities. They whacked Jimbo, got to pay him. Um, it's just a very muted feel out there for me right now. Well, I do think, though, the first-year coach, you get sort of the natural elixir that comes with it. I mean, it's like the stages of grief, right? And and then it all, you know, recycles over again. The hope springs eternal when you get the new coach in. Uh, You know, you, you engage in some mediocrity in year one. The fan base says, well, that's a year one coach. And then, uh, you know, you're, you're still optimistic year two. And then at some point you wake up and realize, uh, hey, this we're, we're still not better than, than Texas. Um, but, I mean, I, I think that's, that's the reason, one of the many reasons why it was necessary to part from Jimbo Fisher this past year was Texas's success is going to be right in your face now uh, with them coming into your conference. Uh, as you said, Texas had the Texas A&M, you know, at one point had a leg up in this situation. They came into the conference first. Uh, their program had, you know, a brief moment where they, they were ahead of Texas. That's passed. Texas has passed them. Uh, once again, they've got the, uh, who I think is a better coach, one of the best coaches in college football, and Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, he's proved he can recruit there. He's proved he can develop. He's proved he can win. And Mike Elko has to, to prove all those things. I think Elko has done a good job in retaining some useful leftovers from the Jimbo Fisher era. He didn't keep all of them. He, he lost some good ones. Um, but I think he did better than, than most would have expected in re- retaining some quality. Uh, and he did a pretty good job in mining the transfer portal. I think uh, year one coaches are set up to succeed better than they used to be because of the impact of, of um, you know immediately eligible transfers. Uh, that being said, Texas A&M's program is, is not where, where Texas is set up to be this year, um, and, and that stinks. There's no doubt about it. I love Sam Pittman on a personal level. I, I know he's a good coach. Um, I think he's going to get fired mm, beginning in middle of November. Um, tell me what you think. Yeah, I think that's probably the right timeline. I mean, there's that clause in his contract where his, his record dips below 500. Uh, since the start of the 2021 season, uh, I believe it is, then his buyout reduces. It triggers a clause in his contract. So uh, whenever that stage is where his record since 2021 dips below 500, um, I think he becomes incredibly, incredibly vulnerable. And and frankly, they may have moved on from him uh, after this past season. Um, You know, if there wasn't that significant contractual discount uh, to give it one more go, see if they can get it right, and knowing that the discount's coming, if he can't get it right this year, but yeah, I don't, I don't see, um, you know, any great relief coming for Arkansas this season. Uh, you know, the one thing they had going for him the last few years was, was KJ Jefferson. And, and, you know, there were, there were some good times with KJ. It, it sort of fizzled out last year. 
after they changed offensive coordinators and went to a system that I don't think really fit KJ Jefferson. But now KJ's gone. Um, I'm not convinced that they've upgraded there. The schedule's tougher. Um, you know, I think if you squint and look hard, you can find maybe maybe five wins on that Arkansas schedule, but I, it's a tough schedule. I struggle to find much more than about five wins, and, and that's not going to save Sam Pittman. All right, you can tell me I'm just being presumptive and biased because I am biased against Bobby Petrino. I think he's on a black cloud tour. Like, he's picking places where he thinks the head coach is about to get jettisoned and maybe they'll promote me and I get to be a head coach again. Um, would he be a choice maybe because he's there and apparently all's forgiven and it didn't work at A&M because Jimbo did get fired and they're like, no, all of you are gone. Um, yeah. To me, he doesn't make sense as a choice there uh, for a number of reasons. One, I I struggle to see, you know, what would be a 63, 64-year-old Bobby Petrino uh, being the face of your organization in this NIL era. um, Right. That that we're that we're living in right now, too. Um, I mean, I think you look at Bobby Petrino's peak. I mean, it occurred while he was at Arkansas. Um, I mean, you look at what he's done since then. He had some good seasons at, at Louisville, but it didn't end well at Louisville. He was at you know FCS Missouri State for three years. Two out of the three years, he was pretty mediocre there. He was he was good one year, but otherwise, um, you know, nothing special. And now he's been in, in the coordinator circles. Like Bobby Petrino hasn't done anything in the last a decade plus that suggests to me um, that he's cut out to be an an SEC head coach in this moment. I mean, you really have to go back to, uh, what, the 2011-2010 seasons at Arkansas uh, to find evidence that that this guy is is someone you want running your program. And I think that's that's really reaching – back into the past to say that 15 later 15 years later you know he would still be the guy at, at Arkansas I mean maybe Bobby Petrino retains that hope I, I think you might be on to something there uh, but if that's Arkansas's grand plan uh, I would suggest they need to come up with a new plan all right as much as I love Quinn Ewers I've seen Nico for like four quarters and some random snaps in other games I can't get enough of that kid um am am I putting too much into a bowl game performance uh I I don't think you're putting too much into to Nico and it might be a little bit too much if it's based purely on the bowl game but as you know as you said you've seen him in other instances too and I think when you add up uh the totality of it the guy's a tremendous tremendous talent um, you know, he, he's got the arm strength. He can move. Uh, he's, he's got the measurements. I mean, he looks like, uh, you know, everything you'd want in a future first round uh, NFL quarterback. And then also he's in a system that sets quarterbacks up to thrive. I mean, you look at, at what Josh Heupel quarterbacks have done going all the way back to when he helped develop Sam Bradford uh, at Oklahoma. You had Drew Locke uh, at Missouri. You had the success he had uh, with Dylan Gabriel and others at UCF. You had Hendon Hooker at Tennessee. I mean, this this is a system um, that puts quarterbacks and wide receivers in a position to succeed. Nico's had a year to learn that system, and he's got all the physical tools. So, yeah, I, I, I think he's someone – uh, that very well should rank near the top of the list of quarterbacks in this conference. And that's saying a lot for this season because I think this is the, one of the best crops uh, of quarterback talent that the SEC has ever had from top to bottom. Can I ask you one men's college basketball question, just one? Sure. Can Tennessee win the national championship? 
You know, I don't think so, and I can't really put my finger on why other than um, maybe it's just the, the, the phrase second-round Rick rattling in my head. You know, I mean, you see wow. Rick Barnes so many times bow out of the tournament first, second round, maybe gets to the Sweet 16. I mean, how many good teams has he, has he had um, that he hasn't cashed in on? So, you know, with that rattling around in my brain, it's hard to think <clears throat> that they will. Um, I, I also think this is not Rick's best team. His best team was the year they had Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. Um, and yet when you put all the history aside and you just look at this group um, and what else is out there in college basketball this year, like there's not really, you know, a handful of super dominant teams. I mean, we just saw Connecticut go down last night and go down handily. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think realistically they're among a group of about a dozen um, to 16 teams that probably have the talent to make a run to the final four. Again, I just look at, at, at Rick Barnes's tournament history um, and that's, that's hard to overlook. It's a guy that's been winning regular season games for a long, long time and, uh, you know, struggling to get beyond much past the, the, the second round or sweet 16 in March. Yeah. We, um, had an intern about a year ago, a 20-year-old kid, that I had to promise, I had to explain to him, no, the ACC used to be the best basketball conference that existed, and the SEC didn't really care about it. Um, that seems like ancient history now, given the depth in the league for sure. Um, so that's just kind of what that's it is. True. Blake, it, it, go ahead. Yeah, it, they've, they've definitely improved the quality and depth of teams. They What they've failed to do is produce that team uh, that can can make a, a run at cutting. Well, they they can make a run at cutting down nets, but they never seem to do it. When it comes to March, the SEC has had few and, and far between breakthroughs, but they are qualifying more for the tournament, and it is a deeper conference and better arenas throughout the SEC as well. Uh, Blake, thank you, man. Appreciate you, brother. Okay, sounds good. Thing. SEC columnist USA Today. Um, I don't know. Heath, uh, like you grew up in an era where the ACC, they invented basketball in, in the state of North Carolina, and then they allowed others to play as well in neighboring states. But, like, it was proprietary of the ACC, and the SEC was just kind of what we distracted ourselves for a few months until spring football. Um, that's ancient, ancient stuff now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the SEC has taken basketball so much more seriously. You just look at the level of coaches that you've got at certain programs. And again, a guy like Chris Beard, for example, was a little bit of an open box special. Sure, There's sure. a reason that Ole Miss was able to land him, but but programs invested in a way they just didn't do before. The days of, you know, a Philip Pearson or a David Hobbs just sort of being the assistant, got bumped up into the head coaching job, and we'll see how they turn out, that kind of thing. You know, those days are long gone in this conference, and, and everybody's investing and investing aggressively to to be good, and that's before... Texas and Oklahoma, both of whom obviously have been at, at different times Final Four-level programs in the last couple of decades before they come in. So, no, this this conference takes it so much more seriously than they used to. It was May, I get May 10 years ago now, yeah, 14. Um, it's at this thing in downtown Atlanta. They brought every head coach, basketball and football in the SEC to Atlanta to announce the, the SEC network and give you the deets. Um. And the big speculation was, well, that's because they have football and you know, they, they will broadcast other sports, but they got football. And so what will that cost? And then immediately the conversation was, all right, well, the ACC network, since they've got the best basketball, what can, you know, how does that, folks, what's the ACC network really selling now? Really think about this. What is the ACC network dealing out? Because if it's not football and it's not men's basketball, 
what are you giving me for my $5 a month? Because what it is doesn't seem so impressive. Uh, All right, we break. We continue. Wrap up next. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Like has that um, have made this culture what it is, and you know, gotten it to this point. Um, you know, they they got a little chip on their shoulder. I think uh, you know, there's a little bit of noise here and there that uh, you know they might hear, and we're going to use that to our advantage uh, just to help us be motivated, go to another level. Maybe. Alabama was already motivated. Kalen, that's Kalen DeBoer. He's the Alabama head coach. Noise. Oh, Alabama, there's an exodus from Tuscaloosa. It's a new day for the Tide. The opportunity you've been waiting for. Okay. Um, if we want to start at the very top, the Alabama program might have a drop-off after the departure of Nick Saban. Uh, yes. Um, it is a new day, a new approach. It's from this outsider, Nick Saban eh, ish, uh, was also, but, um, like he's not, it's not Nick Saban. I don't expect six national championships. Was that the number six? Um, I don't expect it, but it doesn't have to be. It could still be really, really, really right. And so he, when I say normally, when I say outside noise, we're going to bulletin board. If it's Super Bowl Sunday, like Joe Namath, I promise you, didn't have anything to do with the outcome of that game, what he said to the reporters around the pool. Um, a 31-year-old NFL veteran, wife, three kids, somehow still has a mortgage. I mean, like, he's got pre- he's got things on his mind. I want next year's game checks. Kid in college, yeah, you are more likely to be able to work that bulletin board thing with. And so, rock it, man. If that's what it takes, the noise, because there's a lot of it. We talked about it on this show. What's Alabama going to do about fill in the blank? And so, Kalen DeBoer keeps answering all those questions. Heath, what's up? So, earlier on the show, for those who hopefully were listening, you already heard it. But if not, then go back, listen to the podcast. Uh, We heard from Stephen M. Smith. Stephen M. Smith with Touchdown Alabama. Unfortunately, in college football today, we have also heard from Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. is good at what he does. What he does is get attention and make loud noises for takes. What he is not necessarily good at is nuance and discussing anything, and especially college football. So today, on his show, Stephen A. decided to go off on the fact that Notre Dame gets the attention that it does in the college football playoff. We won't subject you to the audio, but it included uh, how many rules... How many times have the rules changed since 1988? They modified it in such a way you'd think they would have found a way to win something. Basically saying they're not relevant. What have they done? Chuck, Notre Dame has been to the college football championship game as recently as 2012. They've made the playoff multiple times. In the last part of the CFP era here, we've got them... Uh, with seven top 15 finishes and two playoff appearances in the last 10 years, uh, they've gone 95 and 33 in that period. Is Notre Dame the best program in college football? Of course not. Is there perhaps an outsized level of attention 
to Notre Dame that does not acknowledge that things have changed since the 60s and 70s. Yeah, you could argue that case. Every time the quarterback at Sam Hartman, for example, this year, as soon as the quarterback at Notre Dame gets off to a good month, oh, Heisman, Heisman Trophy. No one's won the Heisman at Notre Dame since Tim Brown back in 87. So this idea that being the Notre Dame quarterback is some launch pad for the Heisman Trophy, not really. The closest anybody's come recently, Manti Teo of all people. But this idea that Notre Dame, what have they done? They're not relevant. I mean, it's just flat out stupid. And it's frustrating to me that one of ESPN's signature shows is propagating that because it's just plain dumb. If I started discussing the Lakers and push for the playoffs right now, I would probably sound less informed than if I was discussing college football. So, um, Also, like, if you ask me about my school, you know, what has Auburn won? I would say the national championship in 10. I'd say they played for another one. So the, I would also talk about how many SEC titles. I'd even maybe throw in some West divisions. For whatever it's worth, Notre Dame, they do not – every school that I ask you, what have they won? If a natty or an appearance after that playoffs, you would then go to conference championships, and Notre Dame doesn't have a chance to win those things. So, wraps it up on a Wednesday, 22 hours from now. Back with more. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.